0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another week. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. My name is Matt Bagley, joined as always by Scoop Duck's Justin Hopkins. Justin, it's an interesting time of the year. Some of the coaches, I think, might be taking vacation or or hoping to take vacation. Uh, Some of the players are gearing up towards spring ball. And some of the fans are, are thinking about the future, thinking about who's going to start in the spring and what jobs are on the line. And, and then, of course, maybe if you you get a little fun, you get a little crazy, a little cute, you peek ahead to that Georgia game in September and the season ahead. Uh, what's your mindset like right now when you think Oregon football in mid-February?
1: Yeah, I you know, it's uh, <laughs> I think it's probably about the same as as most of you know, our readers or or, Oregon, or the Oregon fan base, or really college football fan base in particular, you, you kind of take a break. You got to, you know, I mean, you do, you, you need to get some time away. You need to kind of clear your head a little bit. Uh, it makes it really hard to do that uh, when you have a new coaching staff, because, you know, you're, as a fan, you're very interested in what the coaching staff is doing. You're very interested in how, you know, what they're doing will be different than the previous staff. And you're, you know, you're very interested, uh, in all these elements. And, you know, so I, I think it's important to kind of unplug kind of, you know, hit reset, give your mind a break. Um, you know, I know it's important for the coaches. Um, they being as this was a new staff and being as they kind of came in late to the party, um, you know, this, this particular coaching staff at Oregon, um, probably isn't really taking the traditional vacation that you would see uh usually coaches would get a week maybe two weeks two and a half weeks off in february uh you know it's a dead period no no visits anything like that uh you know but this this new staff really uh isn't able to do that because they have so many things to go over you know roster management recruiting you know setting up their 2023 Recruiting boards getting moved into their apartments or houses or whatever the case might be getting their family moved so many different things. So um, this particular staff I know is actually working through February because they are new because there's so many things to get done that you're not, you know, you don't want to have to deal with these things uh, in the month of March during spring ball. So I know that that's very much going on right now. But, yeah, those are some of the things. And like I said, I know some fans have kind of unplugged a little bit. Um, you know, the difference is you used to kind of be able to unplug uh, in February and kind of stay unplugged until, say, you know, June, July, August, somewhere in that range. That's no longer the case. You've got spring ball, which is obviously a hot topic now. Depends on if practices are open or not. We'll see. There's the spring game recruiting will will ramp right back up in March. We'll start getting uh recruits back on campus visiting and there's going to be a lot of other things. So yeah, the, the that normal, you know, 3-4 month break that that folks used to used to kind of take uh isn't there anymore. And for this coaching staff being a first-year staff at Oregon, they they aren't really getting the break that maybe some others do, but uh hopefully they'll uh, be able to catch their breath in July.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I think about the the energy that we've heard uh, about this staff and the work ethic we've heard. Hey, I, I was going to ask you a question, but <clears throat> uh, we, we had a guest that you told me about, and he wants to jump in. So c- can we get this going a little early
1: here? I, I say, you know, there's no reason to make them wait because they've got more important things to do than talk to us. So let's do it. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, new Oregon football chief of
0: staff, Marshall Mauchow. He's going to join us next right here. Okay, so I've just been told I got Marshall's name wrong. I'm sorry about that. It's Marshall Malko, like Shane Falco, from that football movie back in the day. He's the new chief of staff of the Oregon football program, and I want to talk about what that position is. I want to talk about what he's going to do at Oregon, but since we got him on the pod for the first time, And if you've listened for a while, you know what I like to ask those first timers. I got to ask Marshall the most important question here. You've been all over the country, Georgia, Bama, among others. Why Oregon?
2: Yeah. Well, Matthew, appreciate y'all having me on first and foremost. And, uh, shoot, I'm, I'm, um, very forgiving of the last name. And so no one ever gets it right the first time. And, uh, Yeah. Um, appreciate y'all having me on. So why Oregon to me, first and foremost, I feel like there are very few programs in the country that can truly say they can compete at the highest level. And I would say that there might be only 15 to 20 programs. And I think that Oregon is in that mix and, you know, you've seen the success they've had, um, in, in recent years and how cutting edge they've been with the NIL market. And that's the new wave in college football. And, you know, to me, this is one of the few programs in the country where you can say nothing's holding you back. And then secondly, how much I believe in coach Lanning. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that are great football coaches. They're out there in the country. And there are a lot of guys that are great people that are head coaches to me. It's truly f- special when you find a guy one that you really believe in as a leader of a program and secondly as a guy he is an unbelievable person i know that the direction of this program is going to continue continue to soar under his leadership and secondly you know this is a demanding industry you know we are working around the clock to make sure we have a product on the field you know that serve you know that that oregon alum and fans can be proud of. And so, whenever you're working that hard, you almost become like family with the people you work with. And so, for me, a guy like Coach Lanning that I believe in and that I trust, and it's a great person, is somebody that I wanted to spend a lot of hours putting sweat in the bucket for.
0: When did you meet Coach Lanning?
2: So, the first time I met him, so we, we've both been at Bama, we've both been at Georgia. So, the first time I met him was at Georgia, his first year, um, which was 2017, I believe. Yep, 2017. And I had been at Georgia. So, when Coach Smart got the job, I was um, working in recruiting and operations at Alabama um, for four years. And I worked for Coach Smart. Then I went off to a couple other spots. And then, when Coach Smart got the job, he hired me on as the director of player personnel. And then um, Coach Smart hired Coach Lanning to be the outside linebacker's coach. And, you know, the first year Coach Lanning was there um, as the outside linebacker coach, he actually signed the number one player in the country that happened to be at his position group, and then the number one junior college player in the country um, at his position group. And he ended up signing like six guys at other positions as well. And so as the head of recruiting, whenever you have a a workhorse like that as a position coach – immediately you bond, right? So we were kind of became close friends. And as the recruiting guy, he made me look really good. And uh, I tried to give him as much ammo as possible to make sure he could sign all these great players as the position coach um, when he was coaching backers.
1: You know, you've been at some great stops, uh, Georgia, Bama, Texas A&M, some really prolific colleges, you know, in the college football landscape. Just from your experience, um, and you don't have to go too far in the weeds here, but what's kind of the perception of Oregon from some of those other schools among the coaches and and the, uh, you know, player development guys and, the you know, the directors of recruiting? How do they kind of see Oregon from afar uh, at those prolific colleges?
2: Yeah, it's a, re- a really good question. You know, I always say, like, um, when you're at a school, you always have to know what other people – are saying about your place so you can combat the negative, right? Like, um, I was at Texas AM last year, and everybody would always say there's nothing to do in College Station, you know, and that, and people would kind of hold that against us um, at Texas AM, but it always, it also played to our favor because when kids came there, they realized there's a lot to do and it was a fun place and it's cool. And, and I say that to say, like, you know, at Oregon, I think a lot of people, talk about it's flashy with no substance. And I think that that plays into our favor too, because I think that the flash draws recruits to Oregon, but I think it's really the substance. And every day I've been in Eugene, you know, I learned something else cool about Oregon. Like there's so many things that sell here. I think the flash kind of draws them here and the flash draws Nike. And I think a lot of people use that against us in recruiting, which plays to our favor because when kids come here, they realize how special this place is, and it's a lot. There's a lot to offer beyond just the flash of Nike and the flash of the uniforms. Um, and so, in, in, in my opinion, that's that's what people try to use against us in recruiting. I know that didn't really answer your question, but secondly, I think the perception of this place is a little bit of of fear because I think people know how special this place can be. And um, I think that, that people realize that over the last 10 to 25 years, this place has continually been on an upward trajectory. And I think that they know that this place is, can still climb. Um, so I would say the perception around this program is as is, is high as it held in higher guards with the elite programs
1: throughout the country. Uh, I would imagine thus far, you probably haven't had much of a life in Eugene outside of those offices, <laughs> but, uh, have you managed to make your way into a, you know, favorite place to eat or anything like that? That's really kind of caught your attention so far. Um, I don't want to tell
2: myself too much. Um, I've been to Tracktown pizza a lot.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love so. it.
2: So I've been to Tracktown a lot. Uh, I've eaten at Sabai once, really, really good. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Um, big Chipotle guy for lunch. You know, Carrie and our group downstairs uh, in our eating area, nutrition, uh, they do an elite job. And so I kind of double dip a little bit. It's only five bucks. So I'll take a burrito with me to eat during lunch a lot of days. And they'll cook us dinner sometimes as well. And so our, our food nutrition staff do an elite job, and Carrie heads that up for us, and she, she's unbelievable. And so we eat like champions around here, that's for sure. And uh, But, yeah, to your point, haven't, haven't done a ton, but there, there's been some good spots that I keep
1: continuously hitting up. Uh, at this point, uh, you know, we're going to get back into the, the personal side of things a little bit. Let, let's start uh, a long ways back. I heard you mention that you're from Augusta. I mean, and and you you followed it up by saying that you know it doesn't mean you're any good at golf. I'm not very good at golf either, but I can drink some beer. Uh, (laughs) Same. What what was it like growing up there? Have you been to the Masters before? What was kind of some of your your childhood memories growing up there in Augusta?
2: Yeah, good question. So um, I feel like the perception of Augusta, if you haven't been there, is this elite city. And I love Augusta, Um, but it's not as, like, country club, you know, snobbing of a city maybe as the perception perceives. We do have an elite golf course there that we're extremely proud of. Um, But, yeah, Augusta is a great place to grow up. Um, Unfortunately, I wasn't as crazy about golf as I am now. So, growing up, I was a baseball, basketball, and football guy. And, um, you know, most families during master's week, there's no hotels. And so that's our spring break every year, whatever week the master's week falls on everybody in Augusta rents their house out and it pays for a vacation for them. And so most families go to the beach or the lake. I got kind of a crazy, um, you know, a a fun family we will say that that's obsessed with sports. And so we would drive as a family to different mlb baseball stadiums nice and uh usually that was around opening weekend of baseball and so we would try to catch the braves um braves is the squad for us or and uh we would try to catch braves but if we couldn't you know we'd go around to different mlb baseball stadiums and i've i've actually grateful to say that i've seen every mlb stadium so big baseball guy
1: oh wow that's incredible yeah. What's what which one's your favorite, notwithstanding that the Braves play or, or your team?
2: I, I'd say it's hard to beat Wrigley. Um, hard to beat Wrigley. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool spot, a lot of history. And uh, you yeah, know, it's funny because there's just a lot going on, even other than the baseball game, like the, the people watching is elite and Wrigley. So it's a, it's a fun place to catch a ball game, even if you don't like baseball.
0: I love that you do that, Marshall. Uh, I'm not the biggest baseball fan, but my <laughs> wife is a diehard baseball fan, and so we've had the same dream. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a West Coast guy, so I've only been to a handful of parks, but mm. someday you know, to get to go to every major league park and, and see the history in Wrigley and Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, that's an amazing thing.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it was definitely a sport. I'm a spoiled sports fan, you know. When you're working college football, I've gotten to see some elite uh, football atmospheres. And then, you know, being a, a kid, I was spoiled. My dad just taking us around. I mean, there were some long car trips. Now, don't get me wrong. Me, and my brother, and sister squeezed in the back of the car, um, but we we had some fun doing it. And when we made the West Coast Treks, so we would actually buy a plane ticket, so that was nice. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a fun times, great memories for sure. Yeah,
1: it's it's amazing the things you remember as you get older. You know, from, okay. from your childhood, and at the time, it's stuff like, "Man, I hate being in this car. I can't wait to get out of this car." And, you know, now you probably think, "Man, I can't wait to throw my kids in the car and take them on a road trip to the coast or something." But no um, doubt. And speaking of which, that would bring me up to my next spot. Uh, your dad, your husband, you got two kids uh what what's kind of and not to get too far into your personal life is has family been able to make it out yet you're still trying to get them out how's that been how's that transition been so far
2: so it's been good that's that's obviously the probably the hardest part um about this this industry is just the moves um you meet so many cool people in each stop that you you come across so we're hoping to uh telling my wife we're gonna buy our first house here we'll really plant some roots and uh you know, so we're, we're, we're looking for a house right now. We're renting an Airbnb. Um, so we have like a two bedroom Airbnb right now and it's, uh, my son is George. He's four years old and I have a daughter, Doris, and my wife's Grace. And, and yeah, we're, we're in this Airbnb until we can find something. Uh, the Eugene housing market is seemed like a great, unbelievable place to live. So therefore a lot of people want to live here and in the housing market is, is uh, is a tough cookie to crack right now, um, but yeah, no, they're they're excited to be out here. They got here about two weeks ago. You know, all throughout January, I was telling my wife like, look, this is the the only time that you'll see me um, is about four hours a night when I sleep. And so February's been able to catch our breath a little bit. And um, this past weekend, me and my son caught a baseball scrimmage with Coach Wise and them had a had a scrimmage, and we saw him. Um, we watched that. So we've been able to have some fun in Eugene. Um, sun's been out a lot, which has been awesome. It's been great weather since the family's been out. So that's been a huge recruiting tool for me.
1: I was going to say that, you know, that's, I know that's the ammo against Oregon a lot is, oh, it rains up there all the time. And I, I would I would imagine you guys probably snapped a few photos and sent them to recruits like, hey, just another day in February in Eugene, you know. No doubt, no doubt, <laughs> you
2: couldn't... When the sun's out here, and it's been out a lot, honestly, um, you know it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, the scenery here is again elite. It's, it's a special place. It definitely is.
1: Uh, let's get back into into some of the the real nuts and bolts here. Uh, you guys show up, you know, obviously a lot of work. January gets crazy. Not ideal to have to do a ton of recruiting in the month of January in today's mm-hmm. age of recruiting. Uh, what are, are maybe some of your thoughts now that the dust has settled on what uh, you and Coach Landing and all of and everybody was able to do on the on the signed two thousand twenty two class that uh, that you guys put pen to paper on?
2: Yeah, yeah, good question. You're right. Like, I would say that ninety percent of Power Five players already signed in December, and so um, you know you're all fighting with all the top Power Five schools for that ten percent you know maybe even less of, of the elite players that are left um and so yeah i mean your relationships take time and unfortunately for us we didn't we didn't have a ton of time um but i think that a lot of people could see how genuine coach Lanning and the staff is um really quickly so they they were able to build some relationships fast and i feel like our signing class um although it was although it might not be ranked um, where we wanted as ducks, it was a, we addressed a lot of needs and, you know, coach Cristobal did a good job of putting together a good roster and those things and left us with, with some good players here. And I think that we added to that with this, this first signing class and, you know, look forward to having a full cycle with the 2023 class. I I said it earlier, but um, you know, for, for us, all throughout January, you know, you're recruiting these 2022s, but the fact of the matter is you're a little bit behind on 23s as well. You know, six months uh, before you're allowed to start talking to those guys on September 1st, and so all throughout these official visits, we'd have eight or nine official visitors every weekend, and then we'd try to throw on about 15 to 20 2023s on top of that because it goes dead in February, and the next time you're able to have these guys out here is – you know, March and April during spring ball, so we had to build relationships fast. And then you're you're trying to build relationships with 2022s. You know, I think a big big part of our deal in January was recruiting our own team and building not not even recruiting, but building relationships with our team. And uh, it's a, it's a little bit crazy, right? Like you're on the road recruiting, and then in in February is when you get to spend a lot of time around your team, but these coaches get here and then all of a sudden they're gone away from the team because they're out recruiting during those uh, two and a half weeks. And uh, in February, we've been able to build relationships with our, our current roster. And throughout January, we, we made sure every weekend we had our own players around
1: the recruiting weekend to make sure we could build relationships there. And that parlays perfectly into my next question. was just going to be kind of, uh, you know, your thoughts on, on the current roster And, you know, the shape it's in, it's, in my experience, it's not very common that head coaches walk into a roster and go, hey, we're in pretty good shape. Usually it's, oh, man, we got to fill some holes. You know, Mm -hmm. what's kind of your initial reaction with with just, you know, the current players that are already in Eugene? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I think the the best thing is
2: we have a lot of high-character kids. And um, it speaks to how special this place is. And how much our players currently like like being in Eugene and playing for the Oregon Ducks, because I think that a lot of times when a head coach leaves, you can see certain teams that had you know the, uh, half their roster in the portal, and um, you know for us, I think we have a lot of uh, of guys that are are good kids and like being an Oregon Duck, and this place is special to them, and so you know that that that's huge and in, in our first two months here we we've really been able to build those bonds and secondly i think that yeah we we got talent on this team and um you know we're we're uh, i i i got to work with mario for a couple months at alabama not very long at all but yeah i know that he's a, he's a really good recruiter and highly regarded there and so i think he did a good job of structuring the roster and um you know sometimes you look at rosters and you'll have you know, 25 DBs and then 7 or 8 O-linemen o- or whatever it is on on scholarship, but I think Coach Cristobal did a good job of making it where he had ideal numbers at each position group and he was able to structure the roster in a way that we weren't too division, deficient in, in certain position groups. So,
0: I think it's interesting, you mentioned you worked with Mario when you were at Alabama and when he was at Alabama and then you worked with Dan Lanning when you were both at Georgia and now you're both at Oregon does it does it feel like you you have a unique perspective on the staff that uh that that left and the staff that came in
2: yeah I I think it's funny because sometimes there's a natural rivalry that shouldn't even happen between an old staff and new staff um but, you know, I, I know a lot of people that know Coach Cristobal. I can't really say that we're, like, super close. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I always like Coach Cristobal, and I've heard nothing but great things. So, um, yeah, I mean, don't, don't have a ton of nothing but positive stuff to say there. And, right, you know, right. I, I just, again, I just really believe in Coach Lanning, and um, it would have taken a lot it would only have taken coach Lanning being an elite place for me to leave Texas A&M. I had a great situation there. I love coach Fisher. Um, but I really wanted to help coach Lanning whenever he got his first head coaching job, as long as the place I thought that we could win big, big at. And and I think this is a place where I'm going to love working for a guy and we have a chance to win big.
1: I think, uh, I mean, I've never been there personally, but, and I know you're here now, so we won't talk too much about it, but it, it seems as though, you know, College Station, Texas and that's a pretty special place to watch a football game, 12th man, everything. Is there, uh, is there many places like it that match that in uh, in the college football world?
2: It, it was. They had some really cool traditions there. And, um, yeah, it's a really big stadium. It's, it's it's really new, too. A lot of people say it's the house that Johnny built. Um They had joined the SEC, Johnny Football craze, and then oil was really high, so they built this cathedral of football stadium. It's awesome. I will say that we won't mention the team, but they wear purple and gold. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I worked there, and uh, it was – y'all wore the throwbacks. um, Green – I actually have a hat on right now. It's got the UO, and it was Mariota, Buckner, Armstead, Balducci, like – um the list goes on of players, but we came in here, it's Chris Peterson's first year and woof, it was a it was an unbelievable environment. Um the ducks got up on us quick and uh di- didn't take the foot off the gas to say the least. We we got our tails kicked and the environment was a big reason why. And you know, I talked to Coach Lapoy, where he's been on the sideline too, opposite in Odson Stadium and he said that he's never been in a stadium where he couldn't help hear himself think and this is like the first time where he like couldn't even hear himself think inside the stadium um, here so i think you know although texas a&m is a great place to watch a football game i'm glad that i'm on the good the good guys now inside that stadium because being a part of the uh the bad guys inside odds stadium is is never a good thing
1: no, it, it is a pretty special place to watch a football game. It you know it doesn't have the ninety to one hundred thousand person capacity, but the the forty to fifty that do fill it up get pretty rowdy. So, uh, it is definitely a fun place to play. Uh, you know to go watch a game on Saturday, uh, Coach. If I you're know, a duck. if you're Doug, yeah. Not if you're uh, with Cal, not if you're with Cal or if you're with Washington. That's right. Uh, Coach, I want to send you out on this last message here, or this last question, um, and just kind of really, uh, I, I feel as though a lot of us still kind of have a question about what a chief of staff does in the college football world. And we're not looking for your day-to-day, but just kind of how are the operations currently lined up with you and your duties and how you're you know, working with, with Don Johnson and the other uh, folks in that department. What's kind of an overlay there on that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So first and foremost, our on the field staff, I think are guys that that get mentioned a lot and we have a really special on the field coaching staff. Um, Coach Lanning did a great job. And I was part of some of those interviews and watching Coach Lanning navigate um, and build this staff is was really, really cool to have a front row seat, front row seat watching. And uh, I would say chief of staff, it's almost like the Robin, if he's Batman, I would hope. And I just want to help him so he can really focus on recruiting and coaching. And he can come to me because there's so many things. Like, he's the CEO of the Oregon Duck football program. And there's so many things that come onto his plate that don't have to do necessarily with recruiting or coaching. And those are the things that we all have to help him out with. And, yeah, I mean – to have a guy like Don Johnson that understands the landscape out here on the West coast is like vital to this program and to have a, he's an elite relationship builder. But, you know, we got a guy like, I mean, I was just stoked to find out about the people that we had in this building when I started. Um, And just, again, the more I was around these people, I'm like, golly, we have elite people that love the ducks and want to be here. And um, you know, the operation staff is special. Our recruiting staff is really good. We added some pieces there with um, Trent Fig, Tyler Dean, and then um, Don's great. J.R. Moala is really, really good. Um, you know, we, we have everything we need here, you know, to, to win big. And, um, yeah, I would say the chief of staff role is to make sure Coach Lanning can focus on ball and recruiting. And my background and where I've come from is recruiting. And so I'm always going to have my hands in that. Um, I love the personnel side of recruiting, like roster management, uh, watching film, you know, um, really kind of that role. And I also love love just building the village. And and I think that one of the things that makes Alabama and Georgia really special is they have big operations. And when you have big operations and the head coach – um is running a big organization and operation there's just a lot of things that come on his plate and as much as i can take off where again he can focus on coaching football and coaching football and um recruiting that that is what i see my role being
1: perfect no that's great i'm sure coach landing appreciates that because as you mentioned you know i've always referred to uh you know the the head football coaches like duck commander you know you got right. you, know, you got to worry about scholarships you got to worry about it you know academics you got to worry about you know all these different elements you know boosters all these different things and and i don't think people fully realize it's not about just drawing up plays and 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 making a few phone calls to recruits there's so many uh other things uh marshall we definitely really appreciated having you on. We want to have you on again, but I understand you have way more important things to get back to. Uh, so we'll let you go here, but love to get back with you again here. Maybe the next few weeks before, uh, before an ex- exciting period of spring ball gets going.
2: Jay, hi, Matthew. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been fun. Um, again, don't hesitate to reach out. I love, I love, uh, really appreciate all y'all support and help. I know you are huge for us um, in this program. And so, Really appreciate y'all having me on. Definitely, thank you, Marshall. All right, see you guys.
0: He warned us before that conversation that he probably wouldn't sound good. He he, he mentioned, and and you brought up that he did a, a conversation with our friend Joey Mack, the uh, Oregon radio guy, a couple weeks back, and he didn't like it very much. He he thought he kind of bombed it. You know, I'll say this about Marshall Malko. He was a great speaker there. Uh, really heart heartwarming, honest, authentic. Um, I I loved hearing about how he met Dan Lanning, how he knew Mario Cristobal. Um, I think Oregon's getting a really cool chief of staff on that football program.
1: Yeah, it uh, you know, there's something to be said. Obviously, there's great speakers in this world. Um, you know, certain and I'm not getting political here. Some presidents are better speakers than others. And I know that, you know, plays into things and that applies everywhere. Uh, I, I think, you know, for the most part, being relatable is a very valuable asset. And, and Marshall comes off very relatable. You know, his stories are great talking about, you know, yeah. all the baseball stadiums that he visited, you know, talking about Eugene and getting his family up here and Tracktown town um, pizza. Yeah. Tracktown town pizza. Yeah. I mean, just really, uh, you know, again, being relatable and it kind of, you know, being vulnerable, like telling people about yourself and kind of opening up, uh, you know, your windows a little bit. That that usually overcomes, you know, like for me, I'm, I'm not the greatest speaker either, but usually pretty honest. And I know I say um a lot, but people forgive it because uh, I'll usually keep things, you know, pretty honest and up front. I, I think he did a great job with that. It was yeah. great to hear about the staff. You know, it's great to hear about his experiences at other programs because that's very valuable as well. So I, I really look forward to having you know, Marshall on again and hearing more about, you know, the changes that have happened at Oregon under, you know, coach Lanning and himself as chief of staff and the other elements. So no terrific interview. And I I am super honored that he, uh, you know, took his time out of his day to, to join us for that twenty or so minutes. Hundred
0: percent. I you could hear it was a little bit busy in the background because he, he probably had us on his phone and probably working on his desk while he's talking to us. But that's a good thing, right? Because you got the uh, the chief of staff getting some work done and, and like he said, trying to use his job to make Coach Lanning's job a little easier. Um, my my biggest takeaway from that conversation. He said this not just once but twice. He came to Oregon only because he believes it's an elite program, not program, but program, where Dan Lanning and company can
1: compete for championships. Yeah, I think that's you know that's a prevailing theme. I mean, I think it took, you know, when Willie Taggart originally got Mario Cristobal to come to Oregon, I think it was because it was Oregon. Like, hey, yeah, here's a chance for me to, you know, if you're Mario Cristobal, hey, to take a, a little bit of a step up. In position because at the time he was uh, named co-offensive coordinator, kind of bumped up there, uh, some other things. But also recognize, I know coaches that I've talked to recognize this, that they feel like they've been given a super weapon when they show up to Oregon and they go recruiting and they show up at a high school and they're decked out in Oregon gear. <laughs> uh, there's an instant buzz. Like the kids are excited to see them. They want to see the – the shoes they're wearing or, you know what I mean, here about Oregon. And I have had coaches that, you know, have had, you know, been at several previous stops and have told me, you know, privately, like, man, it's, it's like a cheat code coming to Oregon and, and you know, representing this school when I walk into high schools, it makes my, my job easier. Uh, it gets our foot in the door, which is sales 101, you know, from the get go in the recruiting game. It's just, it's, it's pretty amazing i just don't know that people truly appreciate how strong the oregon brand is because it is very strong Mm -hmm. and it is felt it has felt nationally very very much and and again i think marshall just echoed that once again with you know with why he decided to come to oregon obviously because of oregon and because of you know how how he views coach lanning which again uh, another ringing endorsement
0: yeah yeah, a guy that has spent the bulk of his career in the SEC, Georgia, Bama, Texas A&M. Uh, he's back in the Northwest, and I think it's worth noting he did mention, just very briefly, did toss out there, that he did spend some time in that other school with the uh, the purple and gold uniforms. But I But I think it's telling that he comes back to the Northwest because he believes Oregon can win a championship.
1: Yeah, uh, and I think he said the right thing. He was very complimentary towards Mario Cristobal and the roster that he did leave in, in Eugene. And I think that's very important because he, he didn't say it quite so profoundly as Tosh Lupoy, but he alluded to the fact that, yeah. you know, you can't si- sign 25 defensive backs and, and seven offensive linemen and expect to win <coughs> USC, sorry. Um, <laughs> y- you know, and so, you know, I think he, I think he was very complimentary yeah. of that fact that, you know, this is not a roster that needs overhauling. This is not a roster that needs to be blown up. It's not going to take years of recruiting. You know, they should be able to compete very well this upcoming season. And, and I think he was also correct with, you know, the additions they made in the transfer portal and signing of the 2022 class. You know, they were able to fill out some spots that needed a little bit of uh, patchwork, if you will. So, uh, you know, again, I, I don't think there are many first-year head coaches um, that walk into as much talent as Dan Lanning and his, his crew have walked into. I'm not – Preaching this as a national championship caliber squad, but it's certainly not an 0-12 looking squad either.
0: Yeah, and and you know I'll I'll cover us with the bias here. We're homers. Don't take everything we say about this team as as some sort of fact because we both root for Oregon. We both cover Oregon. I think we we see the world through uh, green and yellow lenses sometimes. But I'm with you. It's not an empty cupboard. Um, and and I think a little bit better coaching and a little bit better execution, and Oregon goes from a from a team that uh, <coughs> loses in the Sooners in that uh, loses the Sooners in that bowl game, loses to Utah twice. Um, you just get a little bit better, and we're talking about an Oregon team right back where they were the year prior, um, and, and the year before that, and the year before that, on the verge of the college football playoff.
1: Yeah, I, I think. You know, and, and and we're gonna you know, you and I are gonna get way more into this, but I, I think if your, you know, reasonable expectations are somewhere, you know, around a Rose Bowl for this upcoming season, I think you're I think you're in line. Doesn't mean it'll happen. Obviously you gotta win games. You've got you know, you got Georgia to start out the season, that's gonna be tough. Uh, you need to do some development, you need some guys to get healthy. But I think if you're you know, again, your realistic expectation is hey, this team should should end up you know, maybe in a Rose Bowl, competing for a Rose Bowl, a win away from a Rose Bowl, if you will. Uh, and that's just a big outlook for now. You know, I think there is a roster there that can do that. And I think that that's a fairly reasonable, reasonable expectation. If you're demanding 12-0 and blowing Georgia out of the water, then you probably want to reset those expectations. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and at their best, it's worth remembering, at their best last year, forget about the Utah losses, this team went to Columbus and beat the
1: Buckeyes. That is not easy to do. No, it is not easy no. to do at all. So no, uh, uh, it's a good team. Um, but again, you know, back to, back to Marshall Malco. Uh, great to kind of get his insight. Um, you know, because again, that's a that's a guy that's worked under Kirby Smart, Mel Tucker, Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher. He's worked under the absolute best head coaches in the country, and he left one of them at a great paying job and a great job at Texas A M to come and work for coach landing and eugene and i think that really says a lot about coach landing
0: yeah yeah Um
1: uh, what do you want to say about basketball you know um they need to keep winning basketball games how about that <laughs> <laughs> no i you yeah. know I, I Yeah. you and i have already you know we're we're probably close to 40 minutes if i had to guess on this podcast and i'd love to to get more into basketball i'll be honest i've been leaving that up to jared whom I should have tried to get on the show with us as well. But, um, you know, I was working pretty judiciously to get uh, Mr. Malco on with us. So perhaps we can have an early podcast next week when we have a better handle on where Oregon's at and the upcoming Pac-12 tournament for both men's and women's. Uh, the good news, uh, you know, the good news is Oregon did pick up a uh, – Oregon men's basketball did pick up a a commit earlier today. So that's always yeah. good in uh, – it's another transfer brennan rigsby uh keeps that what is it north northwest state northwest florida state college pipeline open uh which has been friendly to the ducks in the past but that seems like a really good pickup for the ducks as well uh, on the recruiting trail and uh, matt if you have any thoughts on basketball i welcome them but um you know, again, probably I, I've been leaving that to Jared, and he's been doing an amazing job with it. Jared and Charlie, for the most part.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, y- your beat guys have done great on that coverage. I would just say you haven't missed much. Um, ugly win over over Utah on on the fifth. Ugly win over Stanford on the tenth. The wheels came off against Cal. Um, right. I-, I said on my show yesterday. I said that was maybe the flukiest game the Ducks will play all year. Cal hit every shot in the world and got every lucky call from the officials. Um, And then you escape from Washington State with that win Monday night, 62-59, after Oregon forgot how to play defense and hit free throws. I think this stretch coming up in the desert, Arizona State tomorrow, every year, no matter what, that game against Bobby Hurley and the Sun Devils is always insane. So I, I'm expecting, like, quadruple overtime, bad officiating, missed free throws. It's going to get weird. Don't get picky. Don't get sensitive and, and think, we got to win by 20. Just get the W because that's always a tough game. And then uh, Arizona on Saturday night, number three team in America. I know people are down on the ducks right now, and, and there's a lot of talk in, 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 with Joe Lenardi of ESPN and the bracketologists at CBS and elsewhere about Oregon either being one of the last four in or first four out. But if you beat Arizona Saturday night, that conversation goes away, and we're right back to where we were two weeks ago of Oregon being a lock at large for the tournament.
1: Yeah, it's, it is, you know, for... For some of the ups and downs that the season has had, there's still very much a win and your in situation, which is, you know, it's not all you can ask for, but that's a pretty good spot to be in at this time of year. Um, and you never know what will happen in the Pac-12 tournament, too. Uh, we've seen Dana Altman get in there, and his team gets hot and starts playing, and all of a sudden, you know, it's the team that you absolutely do not want to play. And... and I think at times this team has had a a tough time kind of gelling together, if you will, in moments in games. But if they can, you know, really kind of take that step and be, you know, selfless players and and figure out who the hot hand is. and And it could be different every game. It could be, you know, it could be a different guy in every single game. As long as they're selfless and realize that, hey, you know, we need to let these guys, you know, shoot the ball. He's on fire there's a team there there's the talent there's the size they they're very versatile but uh you know again it's (laughs) i know it's really hard to bet against dana Altman. that's the hard part it's you just every time you do uh, and i know even a month or so ago i was like man i I just don't know that dana's going to get this one pulled together and i don't know that he all the way has but it's definitely a lot closer than it was about four to six weeks ago
0: oh yeah yeah no i i feel that way do you remember the kenny wooten year where they, they go on that run in Vegas, win the Pac-12 tourney, and then they had number 1 overall seed, Virginia, on the ropes in the Sweet 16? Yep. Okay, yeah, so 100%. that season was was the season where I learned I have to just trust Dana because there were so many times where the offense was clunky, uh, it, it was ugly, disjointed, they'd lose by 10 or 20, and I'd think this team is going to be lucky to go to the NIT. And then they catch lightning in a bottle, and and so, you know, with this with this side, we've we've seen the lightning in the bottle already. We've seen what they can do at their best. I think it's just a matter
1: of getting back there. Well, yeah, that's the thing. If, if this team can somehow stay healthy, uh, you know, win 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 out most of the way here, make a strong showing in the Pac-12 tournament, they have. And, and I and I mean this not just in terms of Oregon, but most analysts will tell you, uh, college basketball analysts, they have the ingredients it takes to make a run in March. They have an experienced point guard. Uh-huh. Okay, that's number one. They have an experienced head coach. That's number two. And they have size. That's number three. Everybody will tell you when you start picking your brackets, look for the teams that have those three ingredients. And Oregon does have those three ingredients. It doesn't mean that they're going to win but they could get there and i guess you never know yeah all righty
0: and um yeah yeah like you said i think we'll talk about this a lot more next week uh set the scene for the women's tournament for the men's tournament and uh and a whole lot more uh any anything else you want to talk on before we call it a
1: wrap no no just appreciate the continued support appreciate marshall for coming on and spending some time with us and uh also, to those who do listen to the podcast and read Scoop Duck, I posted, you know, for your comments towards the podcast, how to make it better. There, it, it seems as though every time Ooh. I turn around, there's a new Oregon podcast popping up. Yeah. And that is, that is no slight to anybody doing it. If you have the energy and the will to do it, go for it. But I think what Matt and I continue to try and do is to, to separate ourselves from the pack and, and kind of stand out. So I just wanted everybody to know that your comments were heard. Uh, We will continue to try and evolve this thing, and uh, I suppose maybe that was my biggest motivating factor for getting Marshall on today, so we will continue to try and and make those things happen. Okay. Hey, you just made my day. I always love reading those threads. Uh, You know what? I I offer any criticism. I always do if it's writing about writing or the podcast or the site in general. Give me the criticism, be constructive with it, and we will try to make it a better experience for everyone. That's That's how I think anything gets better. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Figure out what you're not doing well and address it and make it better.
0: Well, well, y- you know I love to to take people beneath the curtain of the media experience. I don't have ratings like like the, there's this old school idea of television and radio where you would get a, a rating survey every couple of months and it would tell you how many people listen to your channel and how many people listen to your show or watch your show and and who's listening like down to the age and the gender uh I don't get that info. We we don't we don't pay for it anymore. Medford does not do it. Um and so I can very much end up in the dark when it comes to who's listening to my radio show and and what do people like and what do people not like? Um but one thing I really value with this podcast, I get all that feedback of oh, yeah. of A we have all the numbers from all the apps on on who who listens and when but what's more important to me is when i hear from people and when i read from people in in that thread that you talked about and you've done a few of those threads over the years where you get feedback from people and yeah there's always that one one or two people that are a little too harsh or a little too mean but you and I've done this long enough. You just let that roll right off your back and you focus on everything else. And and what you get more often than not is just good people coming up with good ideas that help make you better.
1: Yes, 100%. Yeah, you know, maybe they they see or hear something that you don't and again, if it's all for making, you know, like our podcast better, I'm all for it. Yeah, so. Totally. Anyways, yeah, I appreciate those comments and and we'll continue to to, to try and uh, make this your favorite podcast
0: all righty all righty well uh justin's cat needs food and i'm gonna take a break
1: and uh get oh, this i i assure you this cat does not need food but he's a si- <laughs> he's a siamese so he is mouthy by nature and he seems to think he needs food but we're going on a diet snacks <laughs> yeah his, his name's jackson but we've changed it to snacks The little butterball oh <laughs>
0: Folks, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard his cat in the background of these pods, I'd be a millionaire right now. I love it. It's, uh, well, it's the same. It's the same one. It's the Siamese. We have two yeah. cats,
1: but the other one doesn't do anything. Nope.
0: It's, it's always that one. Always the Siamese. Hey, this is a good time to wrap it up. Uh, listen back to that interview with Marshall Malkow if you missed it. This is Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi. We'll be back again next week. Thanks again for listening, and go Ducks.